Anyone on this? Yeah. Uh, for those of you here for the first time, are you new to this or any other form of meditation? Again, a show of hands. If you've done other meditation. Okay, so most of you have been here before. What I'll be doing this evening is continuing where I left off the last time. Uh, I don't plan these things, but they seem to work, them, work themselves out anyway. Uh, rather than just give a talk, it seems to become a series of talks. A number of years ago, it became 40 before I would shut up. <laughs> I don't think I have quite that much left in me, but we'll see. Um, don't quite have a title, although it has something to do with awareness, learning, and relationship, something like that. Maybe a title will emerge, something neat and tidy, so then you'll think you're learning something special and new, which it won't be. It's just repackaged because the teaching is very simple, basic, just a matter of doing it. Um, <clears throat> a brief review. What I was suggesting is that uh, in ancient times, places like this were referred to as schools. And uh, I was discouraged from using that term for quite a few years because uh, the suggestion from all my colleagues, not just here, but is that pe many people have had mixed or very unpleasant experiences in school. They're very happy to be out of school. And the last thing they want to know is they've been suddenly, they come to a place to learn how to reduce their stress, relax, get enlightened, whatever your fantasy is. And they found themselves tricked into another school. Um, school needn't have such a, 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 a narrow and even negative uh, connotation. Unfortunately, perhaps in the modern world it does. Um, <clears throat> When I use the term school in the ancient sense, it doesn't uh, limit itself to conceptual understanding, to knowledge, to learning that comes from uh, thinking, that comes from study, reading, writing, arithmetic. Uh, in other words, the, the major uh, content of university life. That is wonderful. A lot that's come out of it, we all know. The, the wonders of science, technology, the arts, uh, and so forth. Um, but there have been ancient schools. One at the time of the Buddha I visited, it's just rubble now. So maybe we we're rebuilding it. Uh, which was uh, on the cutting edge of conceptual knowledge for that period of time, which was thousands of years ago. Uh, but it also, education included self-understanding. It wasn't simply learning about subjects that were, in a sense, out there. Uh, it was excellent in what was known at the time in terms of uh, mathematics, philosophy, and so forth. But it also included the self-understanding of the people who were doing the, the study. So when I say school, um, I mean it in the sense that the Buddhist teaching uh, is a wisdom school. Now, some of you may have be more familiar with this. Let's say if you move, if you go to, it has retained itself. It's perhaps coming back. I don't know. 
in China, Japan, Korea, uh, often in martial arts. They're no, uh, different schools are very competitive with each other, and they have different styles. They get known by their styles. Uh, even some of the films you probably have seen where they kill each other over which school is superior to which school, samurai, different styles, and so forth. Um, and it would, it would be very, very stylized. In fact, I remember Bruce Lee um, uh, mentioned that my very first teacher who got me started on all this, and I'm still following what he told me about 40 years ago, uh, which was to have no school. Now, he had been trained in many schools. Bruce Lee, if you don't know him, I see a lot of young faces, he was considered an outstanding martial artist. And uh, he died rather early. Uh, but at a certain point, he was trained in many different schools, and then he concluded to throw it all away. Of course, he had had the training. And one of the main reasons he did that is he saw that when he would come up against someone in, in the martial arts for combat, he knew which school you could tell. Now, I, very often I can see someone, uh, the way they hold their hands, how they hold their posture, if they hold their posture, you know, Zen, right? Soto Zen, right? <laughs> Tibetan Buddhism. And people think, oh, you must be psychic. I'm not psychic. It's just that we're human. We develop styles. We cling to them. And then we present it. This is like brand names. Okay. So he could tell which school a person was from very early in the match because he knew their moves because it was stylized. And so having just being free of all that but knowing what it was, uh, suddenly they were up against something that they had not uh, uh, expected. And he was able to be rather successful. Um, it's inevitable that there will be some kind of a paradigm, even what I'm trying to do, uh, which I hope is non-sectarian, free. If you've come here to become a Buddhist or are a Buddhist, you're most welcome, whatever that term may mean to you, and it means different things to different people. Um, if you've come here, you have no interest in any form of religion whatsoever, that's fine too, because I think the essence of what, what we're doing uh, depending on how you see it, you can label it in a certain way and call it a religion. Uh, much of what is called religion is organized religion, and many of us have di been disillusioned by that. Uh, but I would say there's something included very much so in my own life, very anti-religious. How did I wind up here? I don't know. <laughs> Can't stand it. Hate ritual, ceremony. I had years of it in Orthodox Judaism. Finished me off. Now, if, you, if any of you are from that background and you enjoy it and love it and feel the warmth of it and family and good food and, you know, Sabbath, good, I'm happy for you. Just don't invite me. Okay. Okay. Um, so, uh, I'll be trying to steer um, my way so that uh, you might see that the only way I can conceive of using the word religion is in answer to a question, is there anything truly sacred in life? And I don't mean made up by us humans. I don't mean, let's say, if you see certain sacred art, uh, uh, you know, some great work, and it's called sacred art often. That to me is still something that a human being, no doubt connected, <coughs> to some source in consciousness was that came through and produced an extraordinary piece of work or piece of literature or 
dance or whatever it was. I'm not denying that. But what is it that that came from, or is the essence, that which came before all the shenanigans that we humans make up? That's Irish, right? <laughs> See, I'm, I told you I'm eclectic. All right. Um, so is there anything sacred, meaning not created by humans, uh, where when you tap it, it's uh, self-fulfilling and obvious, and uh, there's no need to justify it, rationalize it, explain it, theorize about it, although we tend to do that. Uh, it's just very, very clear. And I've had a little glimmer of that. So if that's what religion is, or whatever you want to call it, I prefer the term dharma. That's a term used in India, and in, in Buddhism it's given the meaning of the way things are, or the lawfulness of the way things are. And the humans, the body and mind of a human, is considered part of nature as much as trees and, and animals, fish, birds. It's all uh, nature unfolding uh, so that there isn't that uh, split uh, that we have uh, concocted over the centuries. Um, okay, so what is it that you, you would be learning here? Uh, there's a form of intelligence. If you go to university and in this town, uh, if anyone has not, you're lucky. It is less for you to unlearn, but from this point of view. But not necessarily. In other words, illiteracy is not necessarily a virtue. Although, the best teacher I had in Korea was illiterate. He thought the world was flat. He sincerely, people came from all over, not only Korea, we came there to, to work with him. He thought the world was flat. And there were two, three of us who came from, and we tried to explain, we used high school science to try to convey to him that it's round. And he looked at us as if we were crazy. You know, when we went on and on, we kept trying. And finally, he said, okay, okay, the world is, is round. And I'm just an ignorant, illiterate peasant. What do I know? He was living up in this mountain for many, many years. And he says, you're probably right. Maybe it is right, and I'm ignorant, and so forth. Has that made you any happier? <laughs> So apparently there are certain things that we can learn, as useful as they are, they have their limits. So that now I keep, uh, I'm not impressed by it. I'm impressed, with, I mean, it's the brilliance in terms of the computer age, the information age, digital age. It's staggering what, is, what can be done now. Uh, and then things like faster, more, more megabytes, if my vocabulary is off, forgive me. I'm not that computer literate, although it's a notch above a typewriter for me. I can get by. Um, is that what we need? More information? And there's a book written, How Great, We're All Interconnected. Some good things may come out of that. But the interconnection is not face-to-face. -face. So we're talking to, uh, let's say you're interested in climbing mountains, and you can communicate with someone in Siberia who loves to climb mountains. Great, in a certain way that information, and I know certain political movements, I know all that's trumpeted, sure. But I also see perhaps the danger of the mind becoming sluggish, flaccid, by not having to use itself in certain ways, and I know there are arguments that the computer can actually improve things. I think it can, I think it can give us leisure to start perhaps using our mind to develop aspects of the brain, which we now know much of it is unused, undeveloped, 
but in this teaching there's more to our, our conception of what's going on than the brain. There's something, uh, now scientists are mostly think that's ridiculous. I, I speak to scientists. But more and more of them are starting to understand that there is something, that the brain is an instrument and there's something more subtle that express, uses the brain. Um, okay, so there's, will more information help us? It seems like we've put, we worship knowledge, worship it. And tremendous respect, money, honor, everything goes towards certain kinds of proficiency. Uh, now I think it's science and math. And if you're in science and math, good. There's nothing wrong with science and math. But it's, it's somehow, everything is vocationally oriented. It has to have a payoff in a job. I understand. This is the world we live in, of course. Uh, but real love of truth and understanding um, isn't just, uh, isn't, isn't just uh, uh, so, pre uh, what's the word for, the, for that? Um, vocation, vocationally relevant. In other words, it, it's, its main use is that it gets you a good job. Uh, in other words, is it possible to love to learn? And that can be something that you also earn a living from. But uh, Einstein, at a certain point late in his life, lamented in one of his, it might, uh, either his biography or someone quoted, and he said what, was, he, what he was sad about was that the sense of wonder was starting to be missing among scientists. Uh, now that might sound romantic, or, but I think perhaps you understand what he was getting at. Why would people be interested in science? Now it's become much more technical, narrow, and a meal ticket. Okay, can meditation become like that? Of course. It can become a highly technical subject, packaged, made convenient, helping you to improve your life, and I'm all for that. But its intent is much wider. So uh, when we come to, there's one form of intelligence which I have Im immense respect for it. I've been through a lot of it. So it's not a, a matter of, of disrespect for knowledge. It's more a matter of where does it fit in in terms of the, uh, the, whole, the fullness of uh, living a human life. Now, I think everyone agrees that something that we have not mastered, we've, mas we've mastered, the, we're mastering the oceans, the sky, uh, so much that we can do. We don't know how to, we haven't mastered ourselves. We don't know how to live together. And I say this over and over again. Some of you have known me before. I'm never going to stop. You want me to stop? Start learning how to live. And I'm speaking to myself too. If you want to call it wisdom, you can. You can call it inquiry. You can call it higher learning. Call it dharma. And it's not at, at the expense of what you're already doing. If you have work or interest that you love, by all means. But if we don't understand how to live, it seems like so much of it is vitiated. It it's turns sour. And we know that wealth doesn't necessarily do it. Fame doesn't necessarily do it, and so forth. Then again, there's no particular virtue in poverty. Sometimes in spiritual scenes, as if poverty makes you holy. I think it just makes you hungry. Uh, I mean, it, it can be intentional and used to develop certain character, but uh, even that is not the only way to do it.
So coming to here, it's a school in the sense that uh, there is knowledge involved. There's a model of education. The Buddha was a great educator, in my opinion. He's often called the world's do uh, spiritual doctor. But the old, the ancient doctors also were great educators, what we now call preventive medicine, which fortunately I see is starting to grow. Teaching people how to be healthy, you know, encouraging people to take care of their bodies, uh, and not just to have uh, beautiful abs and a nice butt. Uh, not against that either, you know. But, uh, uh, but to understand that a body is an extraordinary thing, and why not take care of it? Okay. Um, let's so the so that the ancient physicians saw more of a whole person, and they were more concerned with heading things off. And inevitably, we also do get sick. We get diseases, no matter how 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 much you go to Whole Foods and come out with two bags. You'll still get, you're gonna get old, you're gonna get sick, and you're gonna die. I don't know how to break it to you, you young ones. It's just true, where is Junior? There he is, sorry. He's probably the youngest guy here. How old are you? 15. 13. 15. What? How old are you? <laughs> yeah, but you see, when you get older, you, you have the beginnings of senility settle in. Okay, 15. Good. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so in the Buddhist teaching, to me, it's a guide to living. For me personally, it doesn't mean it has to be for you. It's not an affiliation or an identity or membership. It's a guide to living, a guide. And the Buddha makes that very clear in a number of quite uh, impressive suttas, which are teachings, where here's knowledge which includes techniques, methods, and a conception of the way things are, and encouraging you now to test it. It's like his teachings are a set of hypotheses, to put it in more modern terms. And he, it's not a set of beliefs. In other words, you can believe, read all the books in our library and say, very convincing, beautiful, I believe it, uh, take the, re the refuges and the precepts, I'm a Buddhist, maybe get a special outfit, not here, but in some places. <laughs> okay. Uh, if that does it for you, fine. Uh, but for myself, it's a guide to living where uh, there's someone who clearly was a lot wiser than I was and pointed out things that never in a million years, at least the way I was, would I ever come upon on my own. Take a simple thing, which we, most of us start off this way here, just to train the mind, which is central to all of this, so that it's calm and clear, so that it's fit to do a lot of this learning, which I'll get to in a moment. Um, and we use what? Just a normal, simple fact of respiration. Now, this sounds like bragging, maybe it subtly is. I have a PhD. I, I've taught at uh, major schools. I never would have thought of that. <laughs> hey, Larry, with your big PhD, would you have ever thought that just sitting quietly and calmly and just observing the natural rhythm of breathing would bring a certain amount of calm and peace to you and a relief from all your worries, plans, uh, conflicts, and all that? Duh, no. <laughs> it's too simple. It's too ordinary, it's too natural. So 
I learned that from the Buddha. Now, here, when people, when I teach beginners, I will also ask them after a certain period of time, because I read it so often in books and hear people like me say what I just said. And then I'll say, have you found that it does uh, enable you to feel more calm and, uh, in a sense, be given a vacation from all your preoccupations and obsessions and worries, plans and memories and so forth? And uh, sometimes people will say, not yet. I say, good. It's this is training in honesty. But mainly not with me. I'm not the, the principal in some school. It's with you. We're learning how to get honest with ourselves. Good, keep doing it. At a certain point, people say, yes, okay, fine. Now it's been transferred from the Buddha's mind to yours. It's yours. It's not secondhand. If you just take it from people like myself, the Buddha and who else, uh, it's borrowed. And then you can uh, quote it at parties, might be impressive, what to your mate who doesn't meditate, and you can look down on him or her. Uh, it's not yours yet until you've seen it in your own life, and then it's yours, and that's the whole point. So that evenings like this, and books, and teachings, and, D and uh, DVDs, and CDs, you know, there's so much available now, magazines and so forth. Uh, all of this verbal information, conceptual information, is part of the model that the Buddha put forward. After all, he did a lot of teaching, and, and you know, it's endless. Mostly it's Q&A. Questions and answers. Uh, it's designed to put in your mind a, a new way of looking at the same old life that you have already. Taking a look at it. And certain methods and techniques that can help you develop your mind so that it's able to look at things that are very difficult to look at, which none of us want to look at, like fear, like loneliness, like greed, like hatred. We, we don't, we don't, on our own, that's the last thing we want to do. We'll do anything, to, there may be exceptions, or we'll drown in it, or repress it, but here we're learning how to see it without judging it. We'll, and that's the, I, today we'll definitely emphasize what I mean by that, tonight. Um, <clears throat> so the, the Buddha's uh, model of education is on the first there has, there's information knowledge of and it's in perfectly understandable terms and then the question is do you understand the words of what it's trying to say? for example uh, something that when you finally see it you realize it may be the most the easiest to verify fact that you've ever seen and you don't need a science degree that everything is changing and in uncertain ways everything's impermanent that's a fact indisputable and if you just pay attention how can you miss it and if you don't learn that fact so much unnecessary suffering will come about simply because you're not living in step with the way things are you're not living in accordance in harmony with the fact that things change that's the way it is it's nothing personal it's just true it's not an opinion it's not a belief well at the beginning it could be so if you just take a look and look at your, at your mind, you'll see it's changing, the seasons. Now, traditionally, the way I was uh, taught in Asia is we start off by contemplating impermanence in the environment. For many people, it's easier, for most of us. Uh, the seasons, uh, just sitting and uh, watching a leaf fall to the ground. People have attained enlightenment seeing that. 
But if we all run out now and tomorrow and watch, wait for a leaf to fall and then say, ah, Larry is full of baloney, I didn't get enlightened. <laughs> that person was ripe. In other words, there, there, there was an openness, a stillness of mind, a sensitivity. Who knows what went before that to put that person in a condition where they, the, the, the profound truth of that simple event, a leaf that was green, turning color, and then at a certain point, on its own, just dropping off, falling to the ground, and then going through further decomposition and so forth. Uh, the per because there are enlightenment stories based on that, one famous one in ancient China. Um, it's all there. It's all there. As you age, uh, your vision, for most of us, needs help. Your teeth start to fall out. Uh, your hair starts to fall out. You get gray. You too. <laughs> Enjoy your whatever, however old you are. Anyway, <laughs> I can't remember. Is it 12? So if, you, uh, if at a certain point you're so open and for how, whatever the pr preparation that's gone into it, the leaf falls and you're able to see it and it's bone deep, to use a phrase from a cowboy movie, I didn't get that from a Buddhist text, uh, with Robert Duval, he says it, and it, he's uh, one of my gurus. Anyway, only when he's a cowboy though. Uh, the, so there's another kind of learning, but the words helped you get there. It's like a good menu, gets you to go inside the restaurant, but you still have to eat the food. You can't live on the menu. It's just cardboard. It's ossified truth. It's, uh, what do you call it? You know, something that's been uh, dead for thousands of years. Uh, fossilized. fossilized, that's the word. It's, what? Dead, what? Well, it's a fossil, you know. <laughs> Uh, so there could be beautiful words, but they're fossilized because they're not alive. Uh, so wisdom is not about memorizing what Socrates, Plato, the Buddha, whoever said, Jesus, <coughs> Muhammad, who, I, I wouldn't want to leave anyone out, but because you have to, <laughs> uh, someone will either sue me or I'll get an angry note, and, you know. <laughs> You could hardly open your mouth these days. Everything, you know, politically correct. It's gone too far. Sorry. Now, I know I'm from Brooklyn where wrong speech was normal. It just was normal. When I got here and I heard the way people, you know, I came, the first time I came to Cambridge and I was in a restaurant and there was this very Harvardian couple, an older couple, clearly a professor and his wife, and we weren't getting served. And uh, at a certain point, the professor, I could hear from his conversation he was, he le a, a waiter came by and he said, oh, would you like to serve us? And I realized, wow, I'm, not, I'm out of Brooklyn. <laughs> would you like to serve us? In Brooklyn it would be, get your bleepity bleepity bleep over your bleepity bleep here, you bleep. Would you like to serve us? <laughs> Okay, so step number one is information, knowledge, we're used to that. Um, often we prefer that to living truth, often. 
I think we are made happy by explanations. We love explanations. It's so satisfying when you can explain something, you know, whatever it is in whatever field, and that has some value. But when it gets to how to live your life, it's very much limited. So we love that, and the practice is always pointing us to what is, just life that's throbbing, that is, that's what, it's alive, it's changing, it, it has a, my, the words leave me, but I think you get what I'm saying. You're intimate with the experience of being alive. And typically we're not because we have so, the head is so full of concepts about, notions about who we are and about what's happening to us and who other people are. And of course we even kill each other over it. So um, step number one though is information, knowledge. Let's call it in this case Dharma teaching. It has its place. If you just stop there, it's rather limited. The intent is to get you to reflect on it so you understand the ideas and then to take it and make it real, to realize it. And how do you do that? You have to put it into practice so that if you just spout everything is impermanent, no matter what people say, it might help you a bit uh, and, and other people might say, oh, uh, you're right. Don't worry so much. It's all, it'll change. You're right. That's a bromide. It can help. But if you deeply understand that everything changes and you begin to see that the mind is fi develops fixations, it develops fixed ways of looking at things that it gets very invested in, very invested in, and it feels secure. And then the rug is pulled out from under it. Or as we put it now, shit happens. Now, sometimes I did, oh, I was not, that's wrong speech, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry, Buddha. Is he up there? No, he's <laughs> up here. I don't think he's there either. Okay. Where is he? He's dead. Okay. Um, but sometimes good things happen that are, the point is, if you have a mind that gets fixed, has fixed notions and has a tendency to fixate, and you have a reality that doesn't care, it just keeps changing, it insists on being the way it is, and it's uncertain. It doesn't change necessarily according to some timetable or schedule. It's a head-on collision. How can you not suffer? How can you not? So, but until you see that at a deeper level, then it becomes real, then it starts to become wisdom. And when it's really deep so that you're living it, it's understanding. Uh, and there's no separation between the, the, the teachings that start out as words were transferred from the Buddha's brain, let's say, to the page, in this case, or to voice, and then it's taken up by our minds and reflected on and then put into practice and then observed. And if it indeed has some a certain effect and we start to learn it and see that it makes a difference in our life, we do more of it. And if it, if it truly is, if it's true, and the doing more of it uh, fulfills itself because learning is self-fulfilling. When you learn something, it feels good, doesn't it? Uh, it? Like if any mathematicians here, you solve an equation and it's sort of, you just feel great. Not forever, but you feel great. But it's the same with anything you learn. And wouldn't it be nice if all of us took such joy in learning how to live? We take joy in learning all kinds of other things. New computer programs, how to cook, uh, a vegetarian meal, how to, you know, switching from, you know, becoming a vegan and, you know, we're getting all these new books that are coming out with vegetables, you know. 
uh, wouldn't it be nice if we took such delight in, in uh, pay, learning how to pay attention to ourselves and how we live, starting, okay, I started with impermanence. Let's stick with that for a moment. The way I was trained, step number one, begin to see it in nature. Well, you're given the words, of course. Then start seeing it in your body. It's, it, it, the body is showing you signs all the time. If you become aware of your body, it's a field of energy. It's not something that's like a clump. And you can feel it changing from moment to moment. Energy levels change. Suddenly, there's, a, a, I think, the, the term chi or prana, useful terms. It's a field of energy. And you, you begin to see the body is changing. Then, then obvious ways in which it's changing, it's aging, then illnesses develop, illnesses are cured and fixed, and you can see the body as a field of change. That's what it is, and we've already seen it externally, in let's say, uh, in, in nature. And then, of course, the hardest of all is then what we were encouraged to do is look at our own mind and to begin to see that there's no me, there's no Larry there. Uh, there is a Larry that's constructed in the mind, based on memories, fantasies, in other words, a lot of it is just not true, you know, and images, conclusions, and so we have images of how awful we are, how wonderful we are, and they, they keep changing too. I used to love to be in my cowboy outfit with my six shooters and my cowboy hat. If you gave it to me now and said, Larry, here's for your, uh, I'm gonna be 81 in December, Here's for your birthday. Here's your Tom Mix cowboy outfit. Remember it? I'll, I'll look at you as you have to be institutionalized. Uh, but at one point, there was nothing more exciting than having my outfit with chapsticks, you know, and a, a cap and a vest, and being able to draw, be like Tom Mix. And if you had your little dollies and whatever it was. So, uh, and then in our head, if you look at your mind, you'll see there, uh, it's constantly, uh, it's a poor machine. It gets so tired, wearing itself out, endlessly uh, like glands, secreting juices, thoughts and images and memories and worrying about the future and reliving the past, how horrible the past was, how wonderful the past was, how horrible the future is going to be. It's so dangerous. That there'll be no Social Security. They'll cut off Medicare. I'll be on poverty. You know, oh, no, it's going to be wonderful because the new, the new stuff is coming in. And oh, yeah, that's right. You know, uh, And you watch and you see you don't need to watch a comedy hour anywhere. I mean, it's, the, it's, the, it's a hilarious show. Just watch your mind. Constantly reassuring itself. Uh, and concluding things that are not true. Or they were true, and they're not anymore. Or they keep you from anything, really, or you don't see the world as it is. So now, um, meditation is designed to purify vipassana meditation. I better limit my, because the term meditation is used for everything now. Uh, I hear from somebody who knows about that they did a survey, you know, for words that are used. I think mindfulness is really almost at the top, if not at the top. I think it's gone beyond organic, non-GMO. Uh, what are some of the other ones, you know? Uh, so we're in, this is a growth industry here. I just want you to, want you to know you're participating and that something is on the march. Mindfulness. Well, what is it? What are you talking about, this mindfulness? It turns out it's a very precious human quality, the ability to pay attention. 
uh, in some schools in Asia, enlightenment, or I prefer the term awakening, is called the great seeing. Now, vipassana, or insight, we use the word insight, it's, it's the English equivalent to vipassana, uh, is clear seeing, uh, extraordinary seeing, accurate seeing. I like the term accurate. And I think for the, for the remaining time we have this evening, I'm going to begin to sketch what does it mean to see. Because in this field of education, now we talked about there's definitely a place for knowledge. It's extraordinary. It's wonderful. May it continue. Look, a lot of wonderful things have come out in medicine and healing. and Wherever you look, there's great stuff that comes out of this human brain. It's miraculous. But somehow we haven't learned how to live. Is, do we want to keep doing that? And now I think the stakes have changed. It's always been this way. If you read the time of the Buddha or uh, the, in Vedic times, long before the Buddha, people were suffering then too. But they were killing each other with, with spears, with swords, poisoning each other. We now are well on our way to destroying our, it, it, our own planet, where we live, not, and, and each other, as if anyone wins, with stupid treaties that mean nothing. And unless the inner life, unless the mind changes, the problem isn't nuclear weapons. The problem isn't uh, gas, gassing people. The problem is the mind. In the Buddhist language, it's greed, hatred, and delusion. These are the primary toxins that control the mind. And the practice to begin with is getting to know those toxins. And in the getting to know them, laying them to rest. You dissolve them. You cut, they start losing their power over you. First of all, you have to recognize what is greed. If we don't, it has, it's a bit judgmental. I prefer to, the wanting mind. The mind is never satisfied. It's always wanting something that's becoming. It's sometimes called craving to become. Whatever it is, there's something better. A better person to be with, a better place to live, a better restaurant to get to, a better, uh, better uh, package that comes from uh, ex, you know, TV program. Better, and we're endlessly, we like, apparently we enjoy it. Me too, I like when a package arrives. You know, when, isn't it fun when you order something on email and suddenly the bell rings? <laughs> but sometimes, <laughs> I, I live there three, it's a condo with three, uh, one is, my, my wife and I live on the ground floor. And then now and then it'll say, Susan, and I get very disappointed. I want to, <laughs> and I dutifully take the package and I bring it inside, but I have a frown on my face. I like the package that would say, Larry Rosenberg. <laughs> oh. Let's see, what, which one is this? Is this the B. Holland that I love so much? Uh, is that that book that I ordered? You know, then uh, my, it's great. It's a great feeling for about 12 minutes. <laughs> then I'm the same schmuck. And then it starts over again. Okay, what can I want now? Well, what can I not want? You know. So meditation is learning more and more to situate yourself in awareness. Eventually, you realize you are awareness. But let's, let's get to this. Vipassana means clear seeing. For the moment, accept that as a possible. Uh, as, okay. Now, we think uh, we're seeing now. We're adults. And let's say you have a prescription. I just got a new one and new glasses. Uh, I'm seeing things as they are, in a way, but the mind is always getting in there and telling you what you're seeing and what you're hearing and what you're smelling and what you're feeling. It's, that's it, what it does. It's it just this machine that never stops. And we squander immense energy making up what's happening, 
and it, and we're all doing it to each other and to ourselves mainly. So meditation is learning how to have compassion for the for our poor brain. That by the time it's a certain age, you don't have to be 80 to be worn down. You know, you're just uh, exhausted from endless conflicts, endless indecision, endless postponements, the same things. And I'm just talking about my mind. You know, I'm not singling you out. If it doesn't apply to you, you can go home now. It's fine. You know, <laughs> there's no point. It's a waste of time. Go watch your favorite show. You know. <laughs> Uh, and they'll tell you, show you how you don't have to watch your own mind because they're going to put on something that's more interesting in your own mind. Definitely is. But what will, it won't move. There's no movement. And then it starts in again. The machine starts in again and again. So the mind is either wanting, 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 or not wanting. Greed, aversion, yuck, ugh, ugh. I don't, I, look at how her outfit, the <coughs> shoes don't match her, you know. Just hearing random conversations, you know, sort of like, yeah, you know, he's so pompous and pretentious, you know. So aversion coming up all day long, wanting, and then ignorance. These are the three toxins, poisons, that the Buddha, this is, and they have all these relatives. Whatever you mention, they're part of these three. They're just close family members. <laughs> you know, you loneliness, fear, it's all in there. And so what the Buddha is saying is, hmm, this is how we're living because this is unexamined. We're living from this mind that is spending a lot of its time doing this. So ignorance is ignoring. And one meaning of the ignorance in the, the way the Buddha uses it is we're ignoring ourselves. We're fantastic in looking outside of ourselves. We've developed telescopes that are magnificent, that can see into the, into the heavens, and microscopes that can see into uh, cells and the body and, uh, and all kinds of electronic devices that help us see. But those machines won't help us see ourselves. And this practice, finally, is very, very simple. That's why perhaps you could say it's not so easy. If you're motivated, then it's not that difficult because you're interested. It's coming to know yourself, it's self-understanding, self-discovery. It's a journey. It's not like another degree-granting program. You know, let's see, if I uh, learn how to do this, this and that, and uh, Guru X says that if I sit for six, seven, uh, sit a half an hour in the morning, half an hour in the evening, and do 10 retreats a year with him, each at a thousand bucks, and have a picture of him, you know, life-size, 500 bucks, uh, <laughs> that everything's going to be okay. Whew. Thank God everything's going to be okay. Uh, but we know it doesn't work. Okay. So, so, so what? Uh, it, it's simple in the sense of, if you understand, it's a journey of self-discovery because the troubles that we bring to, to the world emanate from ourselves. In other words, we put our signature on everything. We can't help it. So the degree to which there's confusion in the mind, it's an, uh, what it, I think it was Socrates who said a li an unexamined life, he said there's nothing worse than an unexamined life. Uh, so, but it's not intellectually characterizing yourself and writing a, uh, you know, a story of my life, you know, filling up spiral notebooks with it. 
It's the clear seeing as you live, how you actually live. Actually, capital letters, italicized, electric lights going off, flashing on and on. Actually, how do you actually live? Actually live, actually live. Okay. Uh, so in order to do that, the heart of Vipassana is refining this ability to see. Let me give you two uh, teaching stories, very simple, from ancient India. Preceded the Buddha long, long before. One is, uh, I'm not going to use, just <coughs> let me use one Sanskrit term. Uh, there are two, they're related. Uh, apamada and pamada. Uh, apamada means accurate. Pamada means inaccurate just for the moment, okay? So let's say um, there's a, an Indian teaching which goes, when a pickpocket sees a saint, all he sees are pockets. Get it or is that too deep? <laughs> Some, you're supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> now I feel bad, or oh, I better look at that. Yeah, my ego is still alive and well. Okay, if you still want to stay here. Uh, so the, the seeing is selective because that person is concerned with pockets. I just do pockets, man. I'm not interested. Hold, you know, that's all I do is pockets all day long. Here's one. There's a set of pockets. Here's some more pockets. There's another pocket down there. That part, he has no pockets, just a kurta with no pockets. I don't want it. What do I understand? How can I? So you're not seeing the whole thing. Okay, so that's selective. Another one. Uh, and in this ancient teaching, so simple. Uh, it's dusk, and so it's get, the sun is going down, and you see a, a, a branch or a twig, and you think it's a snake. It isn't. So now, it's, it, that would be pamada. The seeing will be inaccurate. What that will result in is the mind becomes inaccurate. In other words, the mind will make up ideas about what, let's say it sees, it's just a stick and it sees a, a cobra or some dangerous snake. So the seeing is inaccurate. Then the mind, of course, then does something which is intelligent to protect you from real danger. But it is, so it's inaccurate. Now the inaccuracy spreads to the mind and then uh, and the emotions get revved up, you get hysterical and start screaming, get back, get back, there's a cobra. And everyone else gets hysterical, starts running around, the police come, and you know, et cetera, and people have with jackets and big guns and I don't know what. Uh, and then say, it's just a, it's just a stick. It's not a, it's not a cobra. Oh, what a relief. And then we all have a good laugh and, then, and so forth. What if it's the other way around? What if it's a cobra and you see it as just a stick? Oh, it's nothing. Curtains finished off. So, pamada is inaccuracy. Now, then, when we get to well, what does it mean to be accurate? Does that mean that you get a good prescription, get a good ophthalmologist, and a good optician, and get a good eye test? I hear they have good ones at Mass General, and when you get out, you get a really precise. It's three-hour exam, and then you get this exam, and then you have. Perfect glasses, perfect vision. That's not what, th that counts. Certainly that counts. Anything that helps you, uh, the senses, grasp reality accurately. But then we get into what, what does it mean? What is accuracy? What does that mean? 
Well, as you, in meditation, what you start to see is that uh, what we take to be clear seeing, which adults are capable of doing, and which we think is awake, we wake up from sleep, we've been dreaming, now we wake up, we wash up, we feel alert, we're not drunk, we're not, and we just, we feel, I'm seeing things as they are. But if you pay attention, you'll see that the mind is, got, uh, is colored. Uh, and it's the pickpocket thing. Only that's a very simple one. Uh, and what we're seeing is through our conditioning. It's, we're seeing through yesterday's eyes. So yesterday is seeing what's now. If you've been married or with someone for a long time, you accumulate a whole bunch of yesterdays and conclusions and images about them. And, you know, they're images to some degree accurate, but they then kill the freshness of being alive in that moment where the person you've known for 20 years, you've been living with them for 20 years, they come in, certainly, it's not like you have amnesia. We're not, uh, Vipassana meditation is not, we're not training you to be amnesiacs. Uh, because to me it's still mysterious. The mind can become very, very clear and see this person that you know all so well, but it's not um, affected, it's not controlled by the conditioned memories which uh, are so subtle that we don't realize we're not seeing with freshness. And, but you can see that. That's the beauty of awareness. Awareness can see how its awareness is being colored. So you're doing the whole thing. The teacher, no teacher can do it for us. The Buddha said he can't do it for us. He said, become a light unto yourself before dying. Become a light unto yourself. So teachers can serve a certain useful function to a degree. But finally, each one of us has to do the work. And the instrument that we're developing is not a telescope. It's not a microscope. Uh, it's our own mind learning how to see itself so that it can heal itself from, from, uh, from pamada and become apamada, in other words, really accurate, really seeing. Now, you may still be a pickpocket. Maybe that's your job. But let's say to get this training, although uh, you probably then would want to become a saint, but that's another trap. But all right. Uh, you take a look, and you're still in the pickpocket business, but you're still seeing that person. Now, here's why, and if you've been in the military, you can't kill someone if they're a human being for you. That's why it's so necessary to have all kinds of ways of talking about the enemy during World War II, which is when I grew up. Uh, there were no real Germans. Every German was like, oh, 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 you know, it was all uh, propaganda films, and they were all mean and cruel, and I'm not saying that that didn't go on, but you, then, I, then I was in the Army of Occupation in Germany for two years. Turns out they're people some of whom were capable of being so distorted that they heard what this gentleman with a mustache who's talking about the ideal being tall and blonde, and he's neither. He's nothing of what he says is Nordic. Or, or uh, what was it? not Nordic, yep, Aryan. Aryan, yeah. So there's this man sitting in front of you with a mustache, dark hair. He doesn't look anything like what he's extolling, and for whatever reason, the human mind can, be, can believe certain things that then turn out to be absolutely disastrous and destructive and more people have been killed than ever before in the 20th century. Who knows if you had the 21st now. So it's not small stuff we're talking about. 
And I think I'm going to, the next time I'm going to pick up on the art of observation, of clear observation. I've gotten it started a little bit, but I'm going to try do my best to spell it out in very practical terms. Very practical terms. Let me leave you with something, though, homework, for those of you who want to come back. There's a Zen koan. I was in Zen for 10 years. Uh, I'm paraphrasing now, and I also don't want to make it too long. Uh, the, the student comes to the teacher and says, how does one meditate when it's uh, very hot or very cold? Or is this, because having practiced in some of these old monasteries, there's no air conditioning. Uh, and even uh, heat, if you want to bathe with hot water, you have to make a fire with logs and boil it up. So you don't wind, wind up taking a hot bath every day or there's no shower. You're up in the mountains and you're doing it the way they did it a few thousand years ago, mostly. Okay, so how do, you, uh, how do you do that? And there have been different answers to this koan over the centuries. But one is kill hot, kill cold. That doesn't sound very Buddhist. What do you mean kill hot, kill cold? Kill the concept hot. The reason I'm bringing it up is I already are here on my street. People are already starting in with the weather talk. <laughs> you noticed? Yeah. So soon it'll be uh, cold enough for you? <laughs> yep, sure is. I got my winter duds out, got my long, long johns on, said, yep, me too, going to get them out. It, you, it was just like, hot enough for you? Got your shorts ready for... Yeah, well, uh, I don't know what they say about the fall, but uh, I guess they, in the fall they're already, the mind is already racing into cold. Uh, I guess spring we're kind of relieved and happy jumping up and down that it's uh, neither not, not an extreme. So one, uh, so the teacher says kill hot and kill cold. What? Another teacher, another, these are correct answers. Another correct answer is in the summer the Buddha sweats. In the winter the Buddha shivers. What? Well of course he does. Uh, this is practical so see if you can put it to use. When it gets, let's say it gets cold, no one's saying that, it, that it, will, it, it could be cold and you shiver, you know, it's cold. And it could be uncomfortable. And if you're not dressed warmly enough, it could be even, you should dress more warmly, you're going to get sick, etc. No one's denying the fact of that. But when we make cold out of it, some, that's the mind, then on top of the fact of how the body is, we then turn it into a catastrophe. And then once the mind decides that, oh, my God, it's cold, maybe comparing it to how it was so nice in the summer, I could walk around in shorts. And, and then it starts all kind of, boy, I wish I, last year we were able to go to Florida, but this year, you know, we're only working four days a week, no more Florida. I guess we'll just have to, uh, you can see the mind then turns discomfort into torment. Now, you can see this. This is wisdom in action. With awareness, you can see the mind making up stories about this. Now, when I was given this koan by my teacher in Korea, I went over and there, they, they can get away with things that I could never get away. You come in for interviews, and they, let's say, give you this koan, and you're supposed to answer it. It's called Dharma Combat. Okay, so uh, you're supposed to answer it. And if you don't answer it correctly, the teacher just, they don't have to give you long-winded explanations like here. 
Well, the, they just ring the bell, out, get out, you know. Uh, if I did that, this place would be empty, you know. Okay, can't get away with it. My Brooklyn accent would spoil it, whatever. You know, I can't do it. So uh, it was humiliating again and again and again. No, wrong. Then finally, this was very hot summer. Finally, I came in. I had a handkerchief, and I brought a glass of water with me. And so I sat, because we were working with this one koan, which I didn't answer many, many, many times. Bell rang out. And we sit down, and he, he says, how do you meditate when it's very hot? And I, I didn't answer anything in words. I just uh, I took a sip of water, put the glass down, took, pulled out a handkerchief, and went, wiped the sweat, bowed, and walked out. Very good, Rosenberg. <laughs> very good. There's hope for you. you know. Okay, um, next time we'll, we'll start off with what does it mean to really see clearly? What, it, what, is, what does it mean to uh, purify observation so that there's the art of observation? We'll talk about that because that's central to learning. The kind of learning that we're doing here is self-understanding, which requires you to be aware of yourself and be able to see yourself clearly. And uh, there, there's help. It's been going on for thousands of years. I didn't make it up. Okay, if you have to leave now, a good time to leave. I just want to change often what the, what the suggestion is. Uh, you, if you're going to stay for the Q&A, uh, stay right to the end. I don't, it won't be rude. In other words, some of you have time restrictions. I understand that. If you want to stay for a little while and then have to leave Whenever you have to leave, just do it. It's okay. It's not rude. But if you have to leave now, please do so. And let's get started. Um, we have to give these two out, uh, these mics. Uh, anyway, anyone ha now it needn't be a question. It can be an observation. Uh, but let's, this is not a college class. It's not for you to get information. It's for us to work with, uh, work with what we're talking about. It's about, we're talking about our lives right now. So anything anyone has to say? Anything that's not clear? Yes, please. I have a question. You mentioned the three toxins, and you talked about greed, and you talked about ignorance, but I didn't get the third one. No, greed, hatred, and, and ignorance. So Ig hatred is the third one. Thank you. Yeah, no, no. I ignorance is, and I'll tell you why. Ignorance is the root, because out of ignorance comes the, the ignorant conclusion that the more we get of something, the happier we'll be. Or the more we eliminate things that we don't want, the happier we will be, which is not really true. If it were true, it wouldn't. So ignorance is the root. If you get that one, all the others come out of it. So it's, it's kind of the wanting mind, the not wanting mind, and the confused mind. It's more ordinary language. Yeah. Please. It's not for you, it's for us. It's for the uh, Like an ice cream cone? That's it. I'll try. That's no, good. Thank you. Um, I read on the website that um, some courses are for advanced practitioners, and there's a definition, so many years, and so on. And yeah. um, I'm a beginner, and I'm wondering how does one get certified? Is there a bell you ring, or um, yeah. what's it's the process It's a very crude for that? distinction. Okay. So you, you've hit on some. For example, if we say a year or two as a prerequisite, it's very crude. Um, 
what it's, because that implies that the, the longer you've been here, the, the wiser you are. Not true. <laughs> it, it's not true anywhere. So, uh, but we need some, what it does suggest is you've had some instruction. You've already, you put your butt down and tried to look at yourself. If you've just walked in the door, it would kind of uh, be harder on the people who are there who, so it, it really, you're quite right. There isn't some test, it's a very crude indicator. But then again, everything is too. I mean, you know, you have to get a certain degree. I don't know, I have a PhD. I felt there were a fair number of people much smarter than me, they didn't get their PhD for emotional reasons. They were much smarter than me, they never got it. I just plowed ahead, one pie in the face, kept going, another pie in the face, just kept going. So even uh, ordinary folks like me could get through, whereas some very smart people just got discouraged easily. But then I have a certificate that says I'm a doctor of yada yada. But it says something, it, it's not meaningless. Are you, what? No, because time, it's not about time. Right, it's so. A, time is a rough indicate, depends what you do with the time. Or as uh, one of our teachers in Thailand say, uh, said, uh, frogs can sit for many, many hours without moving and they're not particularly wise. <laughs> it's, it's not really, or let's say if you lead long retreats, sometimes I do long, and people where residential retreats is what I mean. And people say, come in proudly to an interview and say, I did walking meditation until four in the morning and then I just had one hour sleep. Good, that's, uh, you know, it's sort of endurance, you have w w strong will. Did you learn anything? Did, did, you did you learn how to let go of what, did you see any, do you see what I'm getting at? So um, in a way, your question, I can't give you a satisfactory answer, it's still, but you see, what does save the day uh, let's say if you wanted to come, th you're really beginning. So what I'm teaching tomorrow night, please don't come, because I do assume certain things. But um, finally, whether you've been practicing for a hundred years or just walked in, it's always going to be about the qual developing the quality of awareness to what's happening right here, right now. It's this uh, the active present, and that's the skill that again and again, all I feel I do is in interchanges, is to try to get people to look at what's happening right here, right now, not just internally, but internally and externally. And the mind doesn't want to do that. It prefers an imaginary future or a past that's over with. And my job is, uh-huh, see that. How is it for you right now? How is it for you right now? So uh, in that sense, we're, we're all in the same boat because no matter how advanced you get, you're going to be doing that. However, if you were in a class and everyone's been practicing for 10, 15, or 20 years, uh, I don't think that's the best way for you to learn. So I don't have a satisfactory answer. If you come up with a new system, maybe science will come up with you know, something with meters and buzzers and something will go off. And you can go to the Thursday night retreat, you have a 7.8 score and seven is considered a cutoff. I doubt it, but I, it's possible. Please. You're going to have to wait for the ice cream cone. This is so everyone else can hear. Thank you. So you said you were talking about um, seeing things clearly, and uh, I don't remember the word. And what? What was the word in Panava? What? 
No, no, no. There oh, oh, Apamata. Accurate, yes. And that... Um, Apamata is seeing yeah. accurately. Yes, without the interference of the mind and about your previous judgments and exactly. experiences. Um, so uh, how do you do that? Observing? How, what? Do, oh, how do you do that? Start practicing. Mm -hmm. what, what do you want? I don't have a pill for you, sorry. <laughs> In other words, that's what it's all about, is learning how to do that. In other words, developing his art of... That's what mindfulness uh, is really accompanied by in, in the technical language. Mindfulness just means remembering uh, to turn to what you have in mind. Let's say if you've set for yourself to be mindful of the breathing, it's to remember, because the mind will wander away. Oh, so mindfulness remembers to come back to what you've set for yourself to keep in mind. If you've set for yourself you're doing the dishes, and you say, be mindful of doing the dishes, Mindfulness will remind you, and then there are other concepts. I don't want to load you down with a lot of concepts, but it amounts to uh, attention that has alertness, sensitivity, and instant learning. When, when it really takes off, there's a lot of love in it, but you're not cultivating it. It's affectionate because it's you uh, learning about yourself. But, so in uh, a way, it's being compassionate? What? Being, is compassion something to do with it? Uh, love and compassion. Look, finally, this form of meditation is an explosion of that. But it doesn't come from cultivating compassion or love from the outside. That can be helpful, but it's limited in my opinion. Not everyone would agree with me. When the mind gets very, very still, what you discover in the stillness of the, of the heart uh, is all the compassion and love you could ever want. That, can be, that's, that isn't sort of the romantic love of, uh, you know, love you, honey, we love everything, you know, uh, love you, love you, unless you uh, look at someone else and I'll kill you. Uh, that's conditional love. It's not, the, but real love is as powerful as death. It's a real energy in the universe. And you don't, we don't cultivate that. Uh, we come by cleansing, cleansing until you get to that, which is before all the uh, constructions that the mind makes up, which it's gotten from the particular culture and so forth. Now, how do you get that kind of mind? That's 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 like that's what we do. That's here. the point. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're learning how to do here. But uh, the there are methods and techniques which will help you. And then at a certain point, you don't really need a method or technique because you'll find that awareness is part of your nature. It's not. It's just, it's here right now. But to begin with, it feels like you're doing it. At a certain point, uh, next time. But. Uh, I can't, words are just going to give you more to give yourself, give yourself a, a migraine. Just do it. Are you new to this, relatively? I've, I've been, uh, I'm not this place yet, I go to others too. Yeah, but then don't they have methods and techniques to help you be aware? Yeah, for example, right now I'm listening to uh, Eckhart Tolle. Who? I'm listening to The Power of Now, the book. Uh, oh, yeah, Tolle? It talks about observing the mind. Do it. Yeah, very helpful. Yes, do it. He also spent some time with Buddhist teachers and with my main teacher, Krishnamurti. Yeah, he didn't spend time with him, but he, he feels very indebted to him. But what he's teaching is a much more accessible version of this. A lot of what he's saying he doesn't offer as much help as the Buddha does. 
But the Buddha, if you don't need it, he, he drops it. If you watch the Buddha's very skillful teacher, if you read all of his sermons, or they're really dialogues. Um, no, that's, he's good. Keep reading him and do it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for your talk. Um, to your last point about hotness and, and coldness and the human reaction to that and being aware of it, um, I have a question about uh, physical pain. Yes. Uh, so meditating, uh, I, I know just from hearing different people talk, might bring up different physical pains, especially back pain is a very common one. May I interrupt for a moment? Yeah. You say... I, from from hearing people talk, do you know it for yourself? So uh, I do know I do know back pain for myself, but my my particular situation is um, uh, I've had it in the past. I've recently had it again, ringing in my ears. Well, tinnitus. See, all I'm interested in it is you. For me, so for me, it's uh, ringing in my ears, it's called tinnitus, and a lot of yeah. some people have it. But for me, um, uh, it it's ex it's accentuated during almost feels like it's accentuated during meditation because it's quiet. But I felt like there's something about the coldness and hotness, which is relevant. But uh, what I'm struggling with is um, uh, um, uh, continuing to practice when you feel like um, the meditation is almost uh, causing greater pain. It's clearly not, but it feels that way. Yeah. And how to have compassion towards that or continue with the practice when yeah, that happens. In other words, um, as you go on in this, there are subtleties of, of that teachers learn, and you uh, mainly to give it to you so you can take care of yourself better. For example, there's one style, which is uh, it's a kind of militaristic style. You just sit through the whole pain. Uh, I ran into that a lot in Japan and Korea. And I also met monks who were somewhat crippled by it. They don't care. In other words, the main thing is to get enlightened, and they're on an express train. Um, there are other approaches which, of course, having trained that way, I see the limitations of it because the ego loves that. It gets really fattened up by sitting through pain that way. Uh, you know, I'm fantastic. I can just sit through all this excruciating pain. You know, and so it's going backwards because uh, w wisdom is getting free of all that. So now, uh, let's say if you asked me this question in the course of this practice, I would say, first of all, work to the edge of where it starts to become really uh, uh, horrible. In other words, I'm not saying, look, for example, you might hear, don't move. And in some, you take a vow, believe it or not, to not move in the monasteries I'm talking about. And people don't move because they're embarrassed to move. Everyone, you're sitting in a group like here. And if you move, everyone knows it. So you don't move, and it's, it, it's just what you said. It's torture. Not only that, you can hurt the body. So <clears throat> I favor an approach that appreciates the body and respects it. Work to the edge, because typically the mind is so comfort-oriented, particularly in our culture, that as soon as there's the slightest discomfort, it gives up, or it gets, uh, it gets <clears throat> discouraged. Work a little bit. Get some experience about being aware of throb, 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 and also Here's what's crucial, and this will help you with wisdom. <clears throat> the mind, if it, like you're right, it's like with weather. The mind can turn discomfort into torment because it'll start to say, uh, this, this throb, 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 uh, it starts feeling sorry for itself. 
And it's not just that it's happening in, in your lower back, in the lower back. It's happening in your lower back, the most important lower back in the entire planet. And then there's a feeling of, now, so in other words, that adds on to, no one's denying the physical discomfort. But then I would shift your posture or stand, or sometimes just, it's enough for today. Uh, in other words, allow the body, sometimes bodies have to, yoga, the real yoga was preparatory for meditation. It wasn't just to get nice buttocks. In fact, I never heard that mentioned in Patanjali's Yoga Sutra. Maybe I don't, you know, he could have said it, but he didn't seem to. Uh, not, I have nothing against nice buttocks. <laughs> but it's, what it's about is to equip the body so that uh, it's more able to sit still for long periods of time, so it's comfortable and stable, so it's a platform from which we can watch difficult emotions like fear and so forth. So uh, I would say most of us work, you would learn intuitively when to stop altogether or when to shift your posture or go to a chair. In other words, because some people feel if they're sitting on a chair, it's inferior. Uh, the key thing is how you keep your mind. Uh, but we have these images. My boss is sitting across, but he's a statue. Also, in ancient times, people sat on the ground, so it was easier for them. We've been brought up on chairs, so, and we can learn. So the body may need to re-educate itself so it can learn to be stable on the ground. But many people just do it in chairs and do perfectly well. Uh, so you, you have options. You're not uh, imprisoned by that one thing. But in any case, the mind will be very important. Watching The, the thought uh, is our companion for our life. Thought is going to accompany us for the rest of our life. But we've got to get to know thought and see when it's useful and when it's harmful. Does that answer your question? It doesn't look like it. Well, no, for mine, was, my particular issue is not so much back pain, but ringing in my ears. So, so it let's go to that. It's okay. the same. First of all, don't take this to mean don't get medical help. Because sometimes it's like meditation cures everything. That's nonsense. Yeah. It's just silly. Okay, now let's say the ringing in your ear starts. Now, and then you're bothered by it, right? Can you look at that? It's the same principle, only it's much more subtle. Now, I'd have to know whether it's, what would you call that disease, titanus? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, if it's that or when the mind gets very silent, you can hear the sound of silence, but it's joyful. No, I know it's different. Yeah, this is not joyful for you. Well, I've, ha I've been like that in the past, but now it's... Yeah. Okay. Cute. So, by all means, get medical attention. Right. But, let's say while you're sitting, if that buzz goes and it's unpleasant, then that can be observed. You can see that the mind is making it worse by zzzz, oh my God, when's it going to stop? The last sitting, it wasn't here. I thought I was done with it, but here it is. The doctor said if I take these pills, but it's not true. Oh, I, oh, it has side effects. You know, before you know it, there's, there's a whole scenario, a whole uh, narrative about what's happening. Whereas if you can see it, it, it falls away, and there's just the discomfort of what's happening, which is, you, you know, when you sweat, you, the Buddha's hot when it's summer, in the summer, and cold in the winter. What else are you going to be? So uh, you're still not satisfied. No. I, want, I want satisfied customers leaving you. <laughs> or is it's that your natural It's easier said look? than done, but I, I appreciate it. Are you an aversive type where you're never satisfied? <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, just kidding, not really. Yeah, okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. No, that's helpful, thank you. Yeah, okay. 
Try it, see what happens. But make the awareness very gentle, because when you deal with the mind, if you come in heavy-handedly, you can give yourself a headache. Very softly hear what's extra. In addition to the, I'm not denying the discomfort, Mm -hmm. there's something extra, that's what you become aware of, and see what happens. Okay. Yeah. Hello. I have a question about, uh, you talk a lot about looking at the mind as kind of our thinking, kind of like our thoughts coming to our mind. And I was wondering lately about, usually you kind of feel it in your body first, kind of, I don't know, I'm feeling anxious. And Every thought expresses itself in the body. Yeah, that's kind of what I was looking, so it expresses through the body before, or it's kind of a, Find out. it's triggered. Find out. Uh, uh, typically, uh, uh, but it's, uh, sometimes it's thought, emotion, and, but whatever happens in the mind must register in the body. You see, we make that distinction. It's one organism, one per. It's a, a mind-body. It's a process. It's not a thing. And so that pro- now sometimes one strategy of teaching vipassana meditation is you start with the body, because that's e- more accessible for many people. Not everyone, but eventually you'll see that it's all. It's a, a wholeness. It's all the same. Now, now if here's what can often happen. Take fear, please. Let's say, uh, let's say fear, it comes up as a thought. Let's say the, the mind. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.